Listening to the flip side with Noah Filipiak, connecting the reality of the gospel to the grit of life. You can support the podcast at patreon.com slash Noah Filipiak or at noahfilipiak.com slash give. What's up, everybody? Welcome to episode 32 of the Flip Side Podcast. Got a lot to get to today. Have an awesome interview. Later, with Preston Sprinkle, we are talking about how to talk about politics and how to talk about polarizing issues, something that Preston has a lot of experience in. So we'll talk about that in a little bit. First, a quick news update. If you missed last episode, I announced that my book, Beyond the Battle, is going to be revised and a new book published with Zondervan. And that book will be available pre-sale in November and available, available in July 2021. So just some exciting news. A lot of you have been following my author journey for many, many years. And so big news, great news there. So thank you for your support over the years. Encourage you to check out noahfilippiak.com and you'll see a way you can subscribe to being on the book launch team for this new book. So with that, we are going to jump right in to the mailbag this morning so that we can get on over to the interview. So first, it's mailbag time. Mail time. As always, you can email the show podcast at beyondthebattle.net podcast at beyondthebattle.net this email is from nathan i'm just going to read it all it's kind of a long email but i like it it's not really a question so you won't have to listen to my 30 minute response like you did last episode (laughs) to my brother's pete question my brother pete's question on theological determinism that was like the hardest theological question ever and i spent half the episode on it so i'll just read Nathan's, he's sort of reflecting on last episode on Facebook. I interviewed my brother Patrick on why he thinks you should get rid of Facebook. So check out that interview. And this is from Nathan. He says, Noah, as someone who feels more aligned with your brother regarding giving up Facebook, I thought it might be helpful to give some encouragement to those who are thinking about doing the same. While I have not given up Facebook, I have not used the news feed feature in over a year. And this has been a game changer. I primarily use Facebook for events from friends and staying up to date on organizations that seem to only use Facebook to publish information, like the young adult ministry that Nathan and I are involved in. He says next, it can be quite a shift to go from using Facebook often to only using it a few times each month. The biggest issue for me is something that Patrick alluded to. We have forgotten what we used to enjoy doing before we were sucked into the Facebook time hole. I am reminded of the story in Luke 11, 24 to 26, where Jesus talks about an impure spirit that comes out of a person, yet returns to the person to find the house empty and put in order. Then it goes, quote, Then it goes and takes seven other spirits more wicked than itself, and they go in and live there, and the final condition of that person is worse than the first, unquote. 
I think the lessons from the story can be applied to giving up Facebook, though some might cringe at the thought of calling their beloved Facebook an impure spirit. When I gave up scrolling through Facebook, I had to relearn what I enjoyed doing. It was only then, after rekindling old hobbies and activities and learning new ones and being intentional with real, actual physical relationships away from the screen, that the allure of Facebook faded. I wish I could say this was easy, but there have been many distractions along the way. YouTube may be the new Facebook for me, but the same principles can apply to anywhere we waste time on a screen. P.S. I found the book, book title being Indistractable, very helpful in realizing the pitfalls of Facebook and social media in general and practical steps to using technology to your advantage instead of letting it control you. P.P.S. I really appreciated your recent podcast, episode 30, on race and what the church can do. I look forward to hearing more on this difficult topic. Signed, Nathan. Well, thanks, Nathan. Thanks for the email. And yeah, I just thought that was some good stuff. It's worth everybody hearing and listening about. And also, thanks for mentioning episode 30 on race. I did that after the George Floyd weekend, so to speak. And so encourage people to check that out. And Nathan, if you want to hear more on that topic, you can go into the archives of this podcast feed before it was called The Flip Side. Uh, there's been several iterations of it, but two iterations ago, it was called The Black and White Theology Podcast. And my friend Tyler and I, who's a black pastor who planted a church in Detroit, every episode we would talk about a race issue and a theological issue as it pertained uh, to sometimes the black church and the white church. But we always talked about each of those things each episode. And we got into some really nitty gritty stuff as far as race and racism. So yeah, I encourage you to check that out. And we will certainly uh, continue talking about that on the flip side here as we go. So again, you can email the show podcast at beyondthebattle.net. I'm going to read you Preston Sprinkle's bio, if you're not familiar with Preston, and kind of give you just an idea of why I wanted to talk about how to talk about politics and how to talk about polarizing issues is because in my spirit, I have just felt this in 2020. I felt it with COVID-19. I felt it with uh, George Floyd and, and the way people talk about these things on Facebook, the way people talk about people that disagree with them. It's sad to me. It's sad to, that Christians seem like we, and I'm guilty of this often as well, we no longer know how to talk lovingly and constructively about hard things. I think Preston does a good job with that, and I mention it later, but most of his books have to do with hard, polarizing sorts of subjects. So uh, Preston Sprinkle, PhD, is an international speaker and New York's New York Times bestselling author. He's written dozens of books, including Embodied, Transgender Identities, The Church, and What the Bible Has to Say, which is his newest book that comes out February 1st, 2021, and you can pre-order that now, so looking forward to that. Also, the book People to be Loved, Why Homosexuality is Not Just an Issue. Preston also co-authored the book Erasing Hell with Francis Chan. Preston currently serves as the president of the Center for Faith, Sexuality, and Gender, Gender, sorry, an organization that equips Christians to engage questions about faith, sexuality, and gender with theological faithfulness and courageous love. Preston also hosts the podcast, Theology and the Raw. Highly recommend that podcast. 
it is the second best podcast out there besides the flip side. I'm just kidding. We all know the flip side is not that good of a podcast. <laughs> and posts, Preston posts regularly on his YouTube channel, Preston Sprinkle. He has some really great interviews that he's been doing with folks on there. I encourage you to check that out. We'll put all this in the show notes. Preston's also active on Twitter, and you can find him at PrestonSprinkle.com. So without further ado, let's jump into the Preston Sprinkle interview. All right. Well, we're here with Preston Sprinkle, and we are going to be talking today about how to talk about politics and polarizing topics. So, Preston, first of all, how are you doing today? How's Idaho treating you? Idaho's treating me well, man. I'd be rather I'd rather be outside right now because it's a beautiful day. But otherwise, uh, oh, yeah, what are you trying to say? You're like, I got to do this podcast instead. I'd rather be outside yeah. where it's beautiful. Why don't you just set up outside and I'll interview <laughs> you out there? It'll be the best of both worlds. You just go out, go out on my iPhone. Audio would be terrible, but oh, you know, it's all <laughs> I'd, good. I'd be working on my stand. I, you know, I I do have to ask about living in Idaho. And yeah. there's you you tweeted once about the Napoleon Dynamite uh, movie having. <laughs> Having much more, it's much more like incarnational now. It sounds like to you living in Idaho. Yeah, so, how yeah. many Napoleon Dynamite isms oh. do you really see on a regular basis? Well, so there's a big difference between Boise and the rest <laughs> of Idaho. Bo- Boise is a, you know, it's a boom. It's a growing city. It's a mid-sized city, probably a lot like Grand Rapids, maybe half the size. Um, so we're we're in a more diverse, not ethnically diverse, but. Um, politically socially socioeconomically ever but yeah you go outside in some of the country towns and and yeah you you feel like you're back in napoleon dynamite (laughs) (laughs) i don't even say boise right i've never i've never heard a native talk boise boise Boise. i've always said boise always everybody outside boise says boise (laughs) wow you (laughs) learn something new uh, on the flip side podcast every day it's like saying illinois uh, i guess to to you guys so all right, well, we're going to get into some some controversial issues today. I wanted to start with a big one that's on my heart. Will there be a baseball season this year? And if so, how will the Dodgers do? So let's talk about that. For there, a well, officially, there will well, be a season. They say that. July 23rd. Yeah. And, no, it's, and every, it's done. every day, another player either gets COVID or, oh. like your boy, David Price, says, I'm not going to play. Yeah. So will there really be a season? <laughs> and let's say there is. Then how, how will the Dodgers do? How are you feeling? Well, I, I think that yeah, that's a good point. There, I was I was pretty shocked to see David drop out, but I understand. Um, I, I th- well, of course the Dodgers are going to take that, but they're so stacked and <laughs> like they are well, every I mean, year with, with, with half the games played against their own division, and they're they've dominated their own division the last seven years, like hands down. So they're gonna, yeah, they'll they'll get into the playoffs. I'm I'm a little concerned about how they're going to do in the playoffs. That's that's yeah, we'll see. They I'm are sure stacked. Every year they are stacked. See, this is coming from a diehard Cincinnati Reds fan who has not had a good team ever in my uh, lifetime. I think the the last time the Reds were good was when I was seven years old, and I didn't even live in Ohio yet, which is where I grew up. So yeah. I have I have no real life smack talk, but I wanted to tell you, MLB.com during the every like the early days of the quarantine. On their website, they put a video game simulator on. I don't know if you saw this. And they did all the all-time, oh. all-time greatest teams. This is big-time smack talk. Okay, big time. 
So they they did a playoff system, and the all-time greatest Reds played the all-time greatest Dodgers in the NL Championship Series. This is a simulated video game with commentators. <laughs> they had their their like actual com- human commentators, and the Reds really? do- the Reds dominated. I just wanted you to know that. Oh, come on. <laughs> Yeah, that's 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 definitely not real life, but <laughs> yeah, right, You're right. So this is like I'm priming the pump for how to talk about everything po- politics. Everything's downhill from here, man. <laughs> and polarizing issues. So it can't be any more polarizing than online simulated video games. Okay, yeah. all right. At least you're not a Giants fan. I'm not. No, I hate the Giants because the one year the Reds actually were good, uh, the Giants beat them in the first round of the playoffs. Don't even get me started. I was at the game in Cincinnati. Oh I mean, this is like the only time they've ever been good. And they're in the playoffs. Yeah. And the Giants, they were, Reds were up 2 nothing in the series. The Giants won 5-2. And then uh, they, they won the World Series that year. So, yeah. Yeah, I hate the Giants. Wow. So, let me read a tweet from you that is how you got into this interview you're like how did i get here how what did i do to, to get yeah. in uh, to this this podcast on the flip side all right so march 30th uh this would have been if everyone can remember i think the the pandemic quarantine stuff really started hitting yeah mid-march or so uh and you wrote uh i'm so uh, i'm so saddened by the partisan tribalism yeah. exhibited in various media outlets during this time of potential unity we have a global crisis on our hands can we please set aside our political allegiances for the sake of common peace and healing? So what made you tweet that? And um, have they listened? Uh, did, did that tweet help? <laughs> Go ahead. No, it didn't. No, no it didn't. Um, so I guess let me, let me give a little bit of backstory because some things I say people might sure, say, sure. oh, he's on the left or oh, he's on the yeah, right yeah. or oh, whatever. So um, yeah, I'm, I am a nonpartisan. Um, if you ask me what party I resonate with, I would ask you which issue you want me to speak into. You yeah. know, I have values that might be more um, promoted on the left. I might have other values that are more promoted on the right. Um, and so I, I am um, decidedly nonpartisan, not non-political. I think the gospel is profoundly political, but nonpartisan. Um, I also am not. I have not paid attention to politics or even the news very closely up until a lot more in the wake of Donald Trump, just because that was, everybody was talking about it. And especially in the last six months, I've been reading and listening to, I've got loads of news apps on my phone now. So I'm constantly looking at the news more than I ever have. So I'm kind of coming into this a bit late, but it is astounding how much I see news outlets promoting a narrative and fitting certain selective facts into their narrative. Um, and I, I do see it on both sides from my vantage point. And this is just my personal opinion. Okay. So in the, in the world of the postmodernism, you can't disagree with my personal experience. So, <laughs> so you just gotta, so maybe I'm wrong. I could be totally off. And from my vantage point, I do see for lack of better terms, those on the left doing it more aggressively than those on the right. Um, and that's, you know, I watch, I, for the first time in probably 20 years, I've actually paid attention to Fox news. I also, uh, listen to, um, uh, NPR. I, I listen, I read CNN, AP news, Fox news. So I try to get a spectrum wall street journal. I try to get a spectrum. Yeah. If Donald Trump does something stupid, um, I obviously, well, Donald Trump could 
sneeze and CNN will be blasting him, you know, from top down to bottom, like everything. I don't know what CNN's going to do when Donald Trump, if Donald Trump doesn't get elected. Um, uh, but if Donald Trump does something stupid, um, I see Fox News acknowledge it. They, they may have a slant. They may not come down as hard. They might, they, you know, they might say something positive, God forbid, about something Trump does. Um, so I, I, I see the news outlets on the right um, typically being a slightly more fair, but when it comes to those on the, on the more left, I, I, I'm utterly convinced that they will do, say, twist anything to try to get Trump not elected. Um, that, that's, that, that's the narrative. That's their goal. And from my vantage point, maybe I'm totally wrong. Totally could be totally wrong. Um, uh, it just seems like they, um, have one mission and one mission only get Donald Trump out of the office. Um, and, and so I do think if, from my vantage point that they, they have used the pandemic in any way possible they can, you know, and Donald Trump, and again, I'm, I'm a, I will never vote for Donald Trump. Didn't vote for Donald Trump. I was profoundly against him as a president and I, I wasn't just as much against hillary which is why i either don't vote or vote independent um but like you know for, for example and again I, I don't follow news that closely so there's probably loads of stuff more than i know but i remember when he shut down travel from china in late january said we're no more travel from china to america you know he was called a xenophobe a racist mm -hmm. and then two months later People were like, Donald Trump hasn't done anything to like help this pandemic. I'm like, well, wait a minute. Like, <laughs> right. It's like damned if you do, damned if you do. Like he can't do anything right. If, if he shuts down the economy, it's like, you don't care about the, you know, opens it up. You don't care about, you know, it's, um, and, and so, yeah, so to me, it's just, it's given my political stance, which is nonpartisan. It's just, it's almost entertaining to me because I have no investment in the right. It's just I kind of sit back with a bucket of popcorn watching this go back and <laughs> forth. But but it, but it is it is sad, though, that a yeah. global pandemic will be used as fodder to make Donald Trump look bad rather than reaching across the aisle and, you know, trying to come together uh, <laughs> around. If, it, if you can't do it with a global pandemic, then I, I have lost hope that it can happen. Um, yeah. Time soon. Yeah, and that brings up like the the bigger the bigger issue that I see, and to, and to back up a little bit, just to, so you you know you're not on the political hot seat here, uh, and for <laughs> listeners to know, I don't I, I know you're not a, a a political expert or aficionado, and no, neither, no. neither no. am I by any stretch of the imagination. Uh, my my take has has been we we worship these parties, you know, and and they yeah. take the place of a savior and. Um, and, and there's a lot to it. We'll get into some of that. But 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 the reason I, I thought of you in this tweet, actually, it, it wasn't just a tweet. It was that I think you do a really good job of talking about controversial polarizing issues. So so the books you write, if listeners aren't familiar, you write typically about very controversial, very polarizing things. For example, homosexuality, hell, nonviolence. And your newest book, which comes out February 2021, is on transgender identities. The book is called Embodied. I mean, these are some of the most polarizing subjects that are out there. And for me, as I used to be able to just sort of, and I, and I think you'll, you'll probably feel the same way because I see you interacting with people online about this. I used to be able to just watch the political parties sort of with popcorn uh, and, and, and it's kind of, kind of, you know, I don't want to say mock them, but just sort of dismiss yeah. them. But 
what gets to me and what made me want to do this topic on the podcast is the climate is getting worse for Christians. Like yeah. the, the behavior I see from Christians is getting worse. The the social media makes things worse. There's this this yep. ca- cancel yep. culture idea. There's unfriending, yep. tribalism, which you mentioned. It feels like there's very little room for constructive, thoughtful discourse, which Christians I think should be leading the way mm-hmm. in. And so you managed to pull it off. And so I, I what I kind of want to do is 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 give if if we can sort of package this episode going forward. It's 2020. It is an election year. Mostly Christians are listening to this interview. What advice would you give to Christians? Let's start with just talking about politics and then we'll get into maybe some other individual issues. Yeah. But it's politics is a unique beast, right? Because the way the yeah. machine is built, you have the Republican machine, the Democrat machine. It's they they clump all these issues into one thing. I just got my some kind of voting thing I had to do, and at the very top it said I had to fill those bubbles in, and and, and I'm really bad with paperwork. And my it was absentee ballot. I don't know what it was. My wife makes sure I do all these things. Uh, and so she said, all right, what do you want to vote, Republican or Democrat? I said, neither. I don't I don't want neither. Right. I want no, you have to. Like this form literally makes me pick one at the top. What? And then it has all the local it's for like the local, you know, blah, blah, blah. You can, and then you can only vote in one of those columns, like for the primaries. That's what it was for the primaries. And I said, I'm not either one. I don't want to identify with either one of those. Yeah. So so my point is we have this beast. It has been created. It is a machine. Uh, what advice do you have for Christians on how to talk about politics? Man, um, I got to absorb that a little bit because I I guess the, the number one piece of advice would be to and for some people they would have to work really really hard at this is to unlodge your identity from a political party um and even and i'm not i'm i'm decidedly nonpartisan like you um i do think any kind of partisanship is problematic even if you resonate with some values more than the other um, I would probably, if you ask me on, you know, 20 different issues might line up on the conservative end on, you know, 12 of the 20. I don't know. I mean, I'd, I'd probably be just right of center on the spectrum. Um, but I would still, um, I would still very much not see my identity, whether in my own internal psyche, externally, I would go work really hard to make sure that my allegiance is never to a political party, even if I resonate with one uh, more than the other. Um, I, and, you know, people said, well, you're kind of cynical, you know, but I, I do think that, let me just say cautiously, most people in politics, most things that parties are doing, it's, it, it's a power grab for ruling over Babylon and mm-hmm. people will do and, and that just conflicts with so many Christian values you know there's little humility there's lots of arrogance there's covering up the dirt in your past and exposing the dirt in other people's past like even if you're like pro-life and pro-military and pro-republic whatever and all these things 
underlying just the two-party system and just partisanship in general, there's so many underlying values that have to do with grasping after after power. And that's just profound. That cuts against the Christian worldview. And I, I do think if you read the Gospels in that light, you will see Jesus kind of addressing that much more than some people realize, you know, when he's addressing, you know, do not do it like the Gentiles who loaded over yeah. others in this upside down kingdom motif. And, you know, the least of these is the greatest of these and, and valuing the marginalized, the outcast and, and so on and so forth. And, and there's just, I just see so many kingdom values that conflict with partisanship, even if on the surface, there might be some things that one party is doing that you might resonate with. You might resonate with the pro-immigration stance on, on the left or, um, the pro-life stance on the on the right whatever that, that's fine those are it's fine to resonate with those values but to see your identity your belonging your allegiance to one party or the other i just think that's profoundly problematic and i'll one more thing and i'll turn it back to you but i just what i've seen in in the polarizing rhetoric that has just been amped up in the last i mean i don't know in the last four years uh, but especially in the last several months you know, these news outlets, the media outlets are just, yeah. they, they play on fear and anger. That's not even debated. Okay. Right. Right. <laughs> that, that you will get the click. And, and these media outlets, because podcasting is going through the roof. I mean, um, there's other YouTube and everything like these traditional media outlets yeah. are losing viewers. They're losing money They're They need, they're doing whatever they can to keep the audience. How do you do that? Fear and anger. You name me one headline. Well, maybe there's one, but just do your new, just look at your range of news outlets and see which, how many of the headlines, how much of the rhetoric is, is playing off of fear and anger because that, that's just, look, if I wasn't a Christian, if I was a marketer, I did the same thing. So it works. Right. <laughs> you right. can get a lot of people fired up and on your side and reading your stuff. If you provoke fear and anger, that's not, but just step back and think like, is that helpful for your Christianity as an exile living in Babylon and living in America? That's just, they're just sucking you in and, and making you play the game. And it's, it cuts against a faithful walk with Jesus. Unpack that. Cause I, I love what you're saying about being in exile, living in Babylon, living in America. I think for some listeners that's went over their head. And yeah. so unpack that a little bit. What, what do you mean by that? Yeah. I mean, I think throughout scripture, um, Old Testament and new, you have this theme where the people of God are trying to live faithfully while living under the authority of some kind of secular yeah. governing authority. Uh, sometimes that secular governing authority is very hostile, like Babylon. Other times it's actually pretty kind, like Persia, the Persian Empire. Um, I mean, Cyrus and others, they're, they're their public policy well let's treat our people good you want to build a temple here i'll, I'll fund it for you yeah. they're kind of the benevolent dictator and in rome you know depending on the era kind of had to you know live and let live but better pay your taxes or we'll come you know kill you yeah um and and then we're going to set up a roman eagle right in your temple just to provoke you and if, <laughs> and then when a riot happens we're going to crucify you, you know um so it had this kind of mix, whatever, but all throughout scripture, whatever, whatever kind of overlord the people of God are living under, they're always to view themselves as uh, exiles living under this authority. And so, so, so most Christians are going to be familiar with the literal exile in 586, you know, um, 
well, it began in 605, whatever, but 586 BC, mm-hmm. uh, Babylon conquers Israel, brings back loads of people to Babylon. And now you have Israelites living under a, a, a different national identity. What's interesting, though, that, that that was a literal exile situation. Some people say, well, that's not our situation. What's interesting is the term Babylon um, is often used, even in, in the New Testament, to refer to Rome and other secular empires. And this and the language of exile, being a stranger and sojourner, First Peter 2 talks about this. And, um, you know, that, that, that theme continues on throughout Scripture, that we are to see ourselves exiles and strangers and sojourners, not on planet Earth like it's often conceived, like this Earth isn't my home. No, this national identity is not my home is the point of this identity of being a stranger and sojourner. So, yeah, I, I think that um we can we should seek the good of the city jeremiah right we should pray for our leaders we should obey our governing authorities unless they would have you do something that conflicts with kingdom values um but beyond that man our allegiance is to a different kingdom a different king and we should be embodying a different set of values than what the surrounding nations are promoting what would you say to the christian that would say to you but we are a christian nation america is a christian nation it says in god we trust on our money and the the forefathers were christians and and we are like we're not in exile you know america is is christian it's it's one in the same uh and again i it's hard to even answer that i think without like answer it answer it for real like like if that person's someone who's really like they really care you care about them and they they really are like seeking to understand right like and they're saying no aren't we in a christian nation because that's a lot of the political rhetoric that i see sometimes uh around you know even Donald Trump getting elected and, and you know, some of yeah. him holding up a Bible up next to that church. When, you know, that was in the news recently, right? It's like, that's right. We're a Christian nation. And again, ah, this is, I can't edit this, but I'm, I'm trying so hard to to not yeah. go, like shift into my sort of sarcasm mode and, and yeah. truly into, because um, it's easier and more fun. Um, but yeah, how do you totally, how do you yeah. how do you respond to that? Because there's a lot of let's be honest, a lot of people out there. Maybe it's maybe it's a generation above me. Uh, you know, I don't know. Maybe yeah. that's what it is. But there's a lot of a demographic that really believes this is a Christian nation, and and they would disagree that we're in exile. Yeah, um, that's really interesting. I guess off the record, I'd ask you: Is that really a belief? Like that's. <laughs> I know. Um, you but, can. So, so me, I can. Me, um, I can send you some swag. I'll get you. I'll get you the American flag <laughs> and the eagle and the cross yeah. and the the verse from. Uh, is it from Jeremiah? If if my people repent, I will heal their their land. No, First Chronicles. Yeah. If my people. Are, yeah, are, yeah, yeah, Chronicles. Yeah, yeah. You know, I've seen okay. that out there. So yeah. I, I see. I, I okay. So I do see it um, promoted more. I would say implicitly with that, like taking verses that are applying to Israel in the Bible and applying it to America or no, actually, no, it is a belief. I mean, I remember when I did a lot of work on violence and nationalism and stuff, it was, um, it was, it was very common for political figures to kind of use the Bible and hijack the Bible, the Bible's message about the people of God and making it apply to America. And, and um, yeah, so yes, it, I get it, it. It is a belief. So I, I would um, honestly. So let's talk about like political discourse and how to go about that. First of all, I would acknowledge some some truth to that. And here's the truth that I would acknowledge is that 
um, America, the founding of America, to the best of my knowledge, and I would say the Western world as a whole, um, has been largely shaped by Judeo-Christian values. Mm -hmm. Um, they also have major blind spots, blind spots like mm, slavery and, you know, um, so, so, but the overarching, you know, um, and, and you can, you can say they're not representing Judeo-Christian values or that's not real, whatever. But the fact is Judeo-Christian values have, um, played a, a role, a formative role in, um, Western thinking and so on. Even people that don't like to admit it, it's just, it's. Their moral sensibilities have been shaped by Judeo-Christian values. So in that sense, um, I do think that the founding of America and some of its values and our founding documents, again, to the best of my knowledge, have been shaped by that. Um, we have not been shaped by Islamic values, Hindu values. Uh, we have not been shaped by atheistic values. You know, mm -hmm. we have been shaped by Judeo-Christian values. And it's in terms of the founding fathers, again, this is from what i know while there may have been some christians there they would be more deists than christian theists would that be do you know anything about that like oh uh, i know um, it's a mixed bag yeah i know okay. uh, if i could do some googling yeah i think yeah, i might get yeah. the names wrong but i, I want to say was it thomas jefferson who's uh the jefferson yeah, bible the thomas isn't jefferson there? bible yeah, cut right? out the miracles cut in the out bible the miracles <laughs> and stuff like that it's like yeah that's not it's not very. It's not a Christian yeah. nation. <laughs> yeah. yeah. When you cut out the resurrection from your yeah. Bible, you, that, that, <laughs> yeah. I, would, I would have problems with saying that's a good foundation for. Right. Um, okay, but so I do want to acknowledge that, that there is some validity to that, and um, I've traveled the world. I think you've traveled. You know, there you can go into some other countries where there's some. I mean, blatant um, the caste system, and I, I haven't spent time in India, but in Nepal. Yeah. Um, I've been in African countries. I've, I've been around the world and it's like, it, as much as we've got our issues, um, yeah. <laughs> try speaking about your, you know, Donald, the way we speak about our, the freedom we have yeah, to speak true. about our leader, Donald Trump, try doing that in China and see how it happens. Try doing that in 99% mm, of other nations and sure. see how that goes for you and your family and your family's family and your friends and your house, you know, so, so there, there, and that's good. I, I think democracy and certain, I would say, qualified freedoms that America or Western countries typically have, to some extent, um, qualified, qualified, qualified. Okay, I'm a white man saying this, and I'm very self-aware that not everybody has had the same level of freedom here that that I have had. But, all just give a big picture. I think there's a lot of good in, in um, America, you know, as a Babylon amongst other Babylon. Sure, sure, yeah. So, so um, but it's, it is still, I, I would say Rome, the Roman Empire had a lot of values that are very similar to, um, to, to America. A lot of value. We even see, share the same symbol of the, old, the golden eagle, you know, and um, so, but that doesn't mean that, <laughs> Rome is a Christian um, mm -hmm. empire, just because yeah. it may might share some values, um, and those are, those are inexact analogies. So, um, all of this, so, so yeah, I would say theologically and historically, it would be inaccurate to say America is a Christian nation, while acknowledging that Judeo-Christian uh, tradition has shaped some things that America has um, done. Um, and then, yeah, I think it's also important to say that we have not lived up to our ideals. I mean. Declaration of Independence is obviously the classic and pertinent 
example that we say all people are created equal, you know, while, I don't know, what is it, a third or two thirds of the signers were owning slaves. So right. um, acknowledge the goals, the intentions, yet also acknowledge where we fall embarrassingly short of that. Yeah. Yeah. I'll give a quick shout out to a book I read a few elections ago. Uh, Shane Claiborne's book, Jesus for President, was a book that really helped me understand the idea of of uh, us living in exile and in Babylon. And so I'd recommend that for um, for any listeners who want to kind of read more about that and sort of kink, what kingdom values look like within that. I mean, he 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 did a good job, I, I think. Um, but in being he was he was very critical, I would say, of the Roman of the Roman Empire in Jesus day where you had to bow to Caesar. You had to say Caesar is Lord. And so you, you had to choose between Caesar being Lord or Jesus being Lord. And he does a, a lot. And I'm sure there's some debate over, again, the uh, everyone could say, well, that's true or it isn't true or whatever. But I, I liked what he had to say. I, it helped me understand yeah. things, even in the book of Revelation, about, uh, you know, Caesar. Uh, now I'm, I do this on the podcast all the time where I try to test my trivia knowledge and I can't just, you know, <laughs> Google something quick. Caesar Domitian, I believe was the, the, and you could correct me on this as well. Uh, Caesar Domitian was the one who was really going to town on, on, uh, you know, his Lordship mm-hmm. and him being God on earth and, and making, yeah, Christ, yeah. you know, Christians bowing to him. And so, and while it would be a stretch to say that's what America is now, there's a good learning lesson in there to to, to know yeah. that it's always been embedded in the DNA of what it means to be a Christian, that Jesus is our Lord, not Caesar and not, uh, you know, any any uh, government mm-hmm. or country. And that doesn't also mean that the, you know, the country's bad or, or whatever. So I want to throw that out there and I get on these these rabbit trails and tangents. So I'm going to I'm gonna try to bring myself back to. The question well, of how, actually, can oh, I say yeah? Do can it, I say something definitely. about that? Because I think yeah. it's actually super important. Is that yeah. um, one of the, a major backdrop to the New Testament is the so-called imperial cult, yeah, where Caesars, the Roman leaders, were worshipped as gods. And why that's important is surrounding the imperial cult was the same language that we see dominating the New Testament. So the Caesar was called Lord, using the same Greek word kurios. He was called Savior, the same Greek yeah. word Soter. He was even called. It was even said that the Caesar has won a victory, which is good news or gospel for the empire. So all that to say, and this is not that debate. Like this is something well known in New Testament scholarship that so much of the rhetoric of New Testament theology of gospel proclamation was. Uh, it, it, I mean, indirect, maybe even direct attack against imperial cult. So that when when early Christians said Jesus is Lord, everybody heard the implicit message: Caesar is not. It yeah. was a decided, um, a decisive proclamation, not just of Jesus, but a renouncement of political allegiances. And, and that's why it led to persecution, because exactly. the, the Roman ears were very, very aware of that. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, that's a great point. Um, all right, so so I'm gonna I'm gonna pull us back. You are a Christian, and you you open up your Facebook page, and you say, you know what, it's a good day to to make a post on Facebook about about the election or about politics or about let's say back to your original tweet that I mentioned, COVID nineteen, yeah. because even on COVID nineteen, we have our two sides of 
the the side that is saying, oh, this is a big hoax and and being very passionate about this being a big hoax. And uh, in Michigan, where I live, our governor's name is Gretchen Whitmer. And there are rallies that have signs up that say impeach Gretchen Hitler. And I saw a guy driving around nearby with a pickup truck with a bed sheet full size uh, flapping in the breeze that said that on the bed sheet impeach Gretchen Hitler. And so people are very passionate about these things, COVID-19. And then also we have George Floyd, uh, a new era, really, a new era of of discourse about racial justice. I mean, I've been talking about racial justice since 2008 uh, as a pastor, and we'll get into that next a little bit. Uh, But I'm telling you, the discourse has changed pre-George Floyd and post-George Floyd. So now there's, there's more people talking about it. In some ways, I think it's more accepted to talk about it. Uh, but but still, you're going to get a lot of flack talking about about these things, right? In racial justice. Yeah. So, my question is is kind of back to that. When a Christian sits down and opens up Facebook or Twitter or whatever their social media of choice is, and they might see something someone else wrote, and they're going to go down that yeah. hole with them, or they're deciding to start their own. Uh, just what do you think is appropriate and and not appropriate and and how yeah. how can and should a person talk about these sorts of issues publicly? That's a great question. and i i've I've kind of been on a journey on um, how I involve myself with social media and controversial issues all the way from, you know, I used to just on Twitter would love to lob kind of controversial statements to provoke thought, stir up thinking. Sometimes I'd even test, you know, where's the line? So I'd cross the line and when yeah. I get mobbed, I, okay, that's a little too far. I'll go back here. So for me, it was just kind of a, an exercise, but I, got, I would say over the last couple of years, I've seen that that's kind of unhelpful. And to your, to your question, I, so I do use social media. I'm, I'm on, um, Twitter. Well, I have Twitter, Facebook, Instagram. Um, I hardly ever, I post stuff on Facebook. I, I don't even know how to check. Like, I don't even know how to even check. Who, I don't even know who I'm following. With, so I'm never really on it. I just post stuff there. Um, Twitter, I will post stuff. Usually if I write a blog or do a podcast, I'll, I'll advertise. I rarely am scrolling, you know, Instagram, same thing. I'll, I'll post stuff. Um, so I, my right so the post the, the tweet you read like that's pretty rare now in, in my world to say something that could be controversial i don't even know if that statement was that controversial i, I got people on yeah i didn't get a lot of pushback on that but um my advice honestly man i i would recommend rarely if ever <laughs> posting or even look at other posts on social media when it comes to politics. I honestly mean that. I think the issues we're wrestling with now with the government, with let's just, or let's just talk about race, you know, the racial tensions and the question of police brutality, racial bias, um, systemic racism, white privilege, et cetera, et cetera. These are very heated, very complicated questions. I would recommend doing a lot of reading um on various sides of these issues and do a lot of listening to people on various sides of this issue and i would do little pay little to no attention to sound bites provocative statements um people who you know 
are just polarizing and, and are just going to make you angry and suck you in the vortex of some endless Facebook conversation with some person. You don't even know if it's a Russian bot or a real person. <laughs> and so, and we need more conversations with real people. So what I, what I personally have been doing, I've been doing a lot of reading. So I, and I, and I always read on both sides. So, you know, here's two books, popular books on the race conversation. This one, white, white fragility is the number one New York times bestseller written by a woke white liberal woman who I think is personally dealing with her own issues of internalized racism. <laughs> um, and then white guilt by Shelby Steele, who is a black conservative scholar from, is it Yale? Um, and so I'll, you know, I, I try to do a lot of reading sure. on both yeah. sides yeah, and yeah. As, as much as this one is, you know, then there's some good stuff in white fragility. Most of it's just absurd. Like I was wondering where the editor was on it, quite honestly, but, um, um, you know, but I try to, I try to withhold like a reaction. I mean, I, I just, even I just gave one and that, you know, I've got, you know, questions and like yeah. how can you say that and this contradicts what you said on page 37 and you know so i'm interacting with it but i'm not tweeting this yeah right not, well even saying know, people it say, a, what yeah. are you gonna say about say people say we well, are you gonna review it i, I might have a <laughs> right, right. log at the end but it's gonna be yeah. very cautious you know and yeah so just we don't we live in a world where where people expect us to have a decided opinion now on let's slow down reflect listen so that's why i've been having a lot of youtube conversations with black evangelical christians um it just it's a lot of listening i mean i do talk and i do sometimes i'll even push back on something just to get more feedback but it's a lot of just absorbing listening it's you know um so that, that's what i'd recommend just try to not pay attention to how people are going about this conversation on social media have yeah. real conversations yeah man no that's and i sorry for interrupting you i was no, uh, no. W- wanting to interject there with what you say on a podcast though too i think is different than what you would tweet or put on social yes. media so i i think a podcast yeah. is it's a conversation and you're letting other people into that yes. but i i sometimes will say things on here and say like, like legitimately to listeners, please don't quote me on what I'm going to say next because I'm kind of just processing this out yeah. loud with you. Yeah. We, I sort of That's feel good. like we're in a we're in a community in a way, uh, and so I might say something later that that I'm like, oh, I'm a, you know, I, I could have said that better. And so I, I do think even podcasts and the interviews you're doing sound like in that yeah. format as well, where it is a better, more healthy place to sort of process things rather than yeah. the quick bam yeah. you know bomb that's it's right, it's right. calculated and it's meant to polarize right it's meant to to bring about a reaction with no real context uh so so yeah i think i think stuff long on, long form long form conversation yeah is, yeah is absolutely need to spend our energy on yeah, yeah. so i want to sort of keep i want to tweak that question a little bit towards pastors and you know i know you're 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 sort of saying uh, kind of don't in general, like don't don't write about these things. But let me kind of re-ask it in a way. What if it's a, a, a something? It's it's biblical. It's let's get away from politics, so to speak. Okay. But I mean, you have a book on homosexuality. You do the um, oh come on, uh, I've been to two of them. What are they called? Where you go around with oh Center the for leaders Faith. leaders forums on yeah, sexuality. And the leaders forums on sexuality and 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 gender and these are these are extremely you know yeah. polarizing things you you would say and i've heard you say pastors you need to be preaching on these subjects right and yeah. and if yeah. a pastor were to preach on these subjects the question i want to get to is that line of if you preach on uh let's say 
sexuality, uh, homosexuality in specific, um, in sort of the way you describe in People to be Loved, um, you're going to have people leave your church over that sermon, yeah. most likely. You're, you're going to have people leave. And so a pastor's going to say, I'm not going to preach that sermon. I'm, I'm just going to preach on Jesus. I'm going to preach the gospel. I'm not going to go there because I, I don't want people to leave my church. And, and you could make the same sort of argument for certain racial justice like issues, sermons, you know, et cetera. And so my question, whether it involves social media uh, or not, it could just involve preaching, is so for lead pastors who are seen as caring for their congregation, this lead pastor mm-hmm. is is the face of the congregation. They're gonna they're gonna say something and 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 somebody's gonna leave the church over it. What's mm-hmm. your advice to a pastor who's who's got something on their heart and it's one of these polarizing issues? Are they should they talk yeah. about it? Well, uh... I want to say absolutely, and let me backtrack a little bit though. Um, when when we, when especially in this day and age, <laughs> when almost every single Christian is thinking through, processing, inundated by, angered by, you know, the conversations happening today with societal upheaval, pandemics, racism, all this stuff. Like, for most Christians. Monday through Saturday, they're absorbed with this stuff. They're thinking through it to show up to church, whether it's through zoom or alive on Sunday and to just preach on Romans two. And I love Romans two, you know, and maybe <laughs> Romans two is relevant for the, you know, but I just first passage I thought of, um, like it just, it does look tone deaf. Like we, we, we need to help as leaders. We need to disciple our people in, at least partly navigating the intersection between faith and culture. And we are going through as virtually everybody recognizes unprecedented times. I mean, I don't, you know, um, maybe since the civil rights era. Um, and, and even then, I, I don't know. I mean, with this is, and I, I don't want to, I don't want, I, I don't want culture to always dictate what the church should be talking about. Um, that's, that's not what I, I don't want to go to the same extreme where it's just like, you're just preaching from the newspaper every Sunday. That's not what I'm, right. I'm saying, but goodness, we need to help disciple our people through um, what virtually everybody is wrestling with now. Um, otherwise they're going to be discipled by CNN, Fox news, or some, you know, or they can't be discipled by both. Um, so yeah, so absolutely. I think we need to talk about it, but I, I, my, my big qualification is I, I'm not a fan of speaking beyond your own knowledge. So if you have not done a lot of work in the race conversation, um, I don't know. I, I, I don't know. I, I would not want you to say something that comes off as authoritative when you don't know what you're talking about. So, you know, um, and so there's other ways around that. You you can you can even say that, saying, you know what, I to my shame, um, I know this conversation has been going on. I mean, since 1619, right? <laughs> um, and I'm just now feeling the pressure to get. So I acknowledge that. I confess it. I apologize to those of you who have not discipled you well through this, but I, I think now I'm, I'm going to dive in now. Um, and maybe even have conversations, you know, about do what I do, you know, like here's a couple books on both sides of it, whatever, like encourage people to read that and, and maybe do 
book reviews or something on YouTube and send them to your congregation just so they, they can kind of see how you're working through this or I don't know. I'm just kind of throwing stuff out. I mean, you don't have to speak definitively just every time you speak, you could model hum, a humble journey, even if it's the beginning of a journey, but just to show some awareness and effort that I, I, as your pastor, your leader, I, I am, I want to help you navigate this as I navigate it in my own heart. Um, there's one church out in, uh, um, Dublin, California, um, an AOG church, and they've been hosting, you know, I think, Thursday evening conversations on race or they have people of different ethnicities give up and talk about stuff. The pastor gets up and talk and it's just a public conversation. Um, that's a brilliant idea, man. Um, that's a brilliant idea. I think they even read, you know, Frederick Doug Douglass's famous speech, July 5th speech on, on what, um, what is it? What is Independence Day to a slave or something? Mm -hmm. um, and so they're just, they're engaging history. They're engaging culture. They're obviously engaging scripture. And um, they don't have to have the definitive answer or tell people how to vote or what to believe. But just to have the conversation, I think, is it's not an, it has to be done. It has to be done with church leaders. Yeah, what, do you, what do you think? I mean, I, so I'm speaking. I, sure, I, that's, yeah. So yeah. let me just, I'm, I'm thinking out loud. I think that's the best path. Right, right. Thoughts <laughs> on that door? Yeah. <laughs> I, I've experienced both sides of this where so so there's growing up it felt like cause I, I grew up in evangelical Baptist sort of churches and I'm uh, a lot of good you know from that and, and it wasn't I don't I don't feel like my church was too bad like this although I don't know anyway there's one extreme where churches will literally they'll bring in a, a political candidate you know and they'll and they'll vote for this guy. Uh, and yeah. it, this is God's candidate for whatever with the congressman, president, you know, usually presidents will look yeah. for that even to try to get on some stage and and get that kind of endorsement. And, and, and so there's that side of it where your your pastor is is like telling you who to vote for. And, and yeah. we my generation. So I'm 37. I'm an I'm one of the older millennials I discovered recently. I was like, oh, I didn't think I was a millennial. Yeah. I thought I was Gen X. All those millennial me all, the, all those millennial memes about entitlement i didn't think they applied you know to me but they do I'm just you didn't know they were talking yeah about you. i know i was making I was, I was making fun of other people i was really making fun of myself so i'm on the older end though i'm on the senior end of the millennial spectrum and so my generation has really uh i don't know the word rebelled against that mindset we have yeah. we've said no way like that we see the i see and i think a lot of my generation sees the political system as corrupt and and both uh both sides are corrupt but but within that a lot of white evangelicals then have swung to the other side where they'll say just preach jesus uh and right. and what they've done is they've really hollowed out the the teachings of jesus the message of jesus so they'll just preach sort of the maybe the pauline gospel the you know justification by faith which is really important really needed but they'll just preach that every single sunday and we'll, we never talk about things jesus cared deeply about in kingdom values like the poor and the the way yeah. the early church had to navigate uh, ethnic differences and racism and socioeconomic differences. And so when I hear someone say, just preach Jesus, what what I hear is, so you're, you're not going to say hard things to your mm -hmm. white uh, affluent congregation mm -hmm. that might upset like their economic system. And um, a fantastic book, like life-changing book for me that 
I read in 2008 that that is really what got me on the multi-ethnic church tip and the racial reconciliation tip was the book Divided by Faith yeah. uh, by Emerson and Smith. Yeah. I highly recommend that um, to anybody listening. So in there, they do the history of the white evangelical church as it related to race in America, starting with slavery, through Jim Crow, through civil rights, through today. It's crazy that our response has always been very similar, which is our highest priority is evangelism. And so mm-hmm. uh, Billy Graham did this. And then later, in a cool way, he repented of it la- later in his ministry. But for uh, the first half of his ministry, he did this as well and said these things. We want to see people get saved. We want them to know Jesus. And so that's number one. So if I come in in civil rights era, Jim Crow era, talking about racism, Jim Crow, uh, race, uh, you know, civil rights, every single white uh, sort of person I'm trying to reach has just clicked, tuned me out. And now they won't hear the evangelistic message of Jesus. Therefore, I will I will never talk about these things that are very biblical and I will I will let them uh, perpetuate on. And so when the when the black church looks at the white church and says, why don't you talk about these things? This is Bible. This is Jesus. That's 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 our answer. So that's what I see. And and I think that's what we need to navigate is is figure out a way Uh, we're not preaching from the newspaper. I have a friend, good friend uh, who has who tweets stuff like that. But what he really means is. I'm never going to say anything to my white congregation that will make them think biblically about racial injustice and and people of color. And so um, I think as pastors, we have to preach on these things, but we have to do it biblically and in an expository way. And I think we have to really be humble and learn. Uh, I used to be kind of militant in my sermons when I was pastoring a multi-ethnic we just merged with a black congregation uh church that i planted and was lead pastor and then co-lead pastor of and i look back on those sermons and i would not preach those in the same way i i i was trying to i think i was trying to impress uh maybe the black side so much that i alienated uh white people that were just starting on the to, to to learn about these things uh, so, so I think it's really, really, really hard. Um, but I get most, uh, what's the right word? It's a podcast. I can say it right. I just get most disgusted when pastors <laughs> never talk about this stuff ever. Yeah. And every sermon you ever see, you can look back through their archives and it's all on, some of these are good sermons. Like I would preach these sermons one third of the time, but they're all like self-help sermons. They're, they're Ted talks. They're about how to not have anxiety, how to be, a good financial steward how to, it's just how to how to perpetuate your white affluent suburban life <laughs> and uh, yeah. and it's just ah you like that's like i can't i yeah. i lose my mind when i see that yeah. so that's kind of why I, or, I don't know I'm, i now i'm just I, ranting I'm, you got me going yeah, baby no I, i'm going i'm right where you're at and i think um yeah so let me go back to what i was saying earlier i am not at all well let me let me say this um I think we should preach in a way that it is political. It's just not partisan. Yeah. I love and that. I think that your, your past, cause the gospel's political, but it's not partisan. And there's yeah. a big difference that the thing that we were raised in where typically white evangelical context, very Republican. Yeah. And we're like, Oh, they were too political. Well, they were partisan. Um, but when you say Jesus is Lord, Caesar is not, when you say 
um, God has value for the immigrant and the poor, when you say that, you know, uh, well, as I would say, non nonviolence is the way of Jesus. Um, th these are political categories, yeah. you know, so yeah. you can't you can't get around that. And the gospel is not just about self-help or individual morality. There are massive societal ramifications of the way of Jesus. Um, so that I, I would say address issues of culture in a way that if somebody in a congregation is wrongly finding their allegiance in one political party or the other, they would both be uncomfortable. I wouldn't want the Democrats to be comfortable as I'm preaching. I wouldn't want the Republicans to be comfortable in my preaching. Uh, I might say things that would, would get an applause from the Democrats. I might say things right. that get an applause from the Republicans. But I, would, I wouldn't want one party or the other to sit there and feel totally comfortable or not disrupted by something I'm, I'm preaching. Or even, well, no, I'm not going to say. It. I was going to make a statement about uh, no race should be comfortable um yeah i don't want to say that yet in our in our very sensitive cultural moment i think there is some imbalances that need to be corrected there sure and i and i want to think through that a little more but um, yeah 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 uh as i well because as i'm i'm thinking about well to go one here's a handy tip for preachers to have in your pocket is to what you were just saying about the left and right being uncomfortable. If you're going to talk about justice issues, which you must, uh, to, to, right. to remind listeners, Israel was sent to exile for two reasons, idolatry and injustice. They were the two yeah. reasons they were sent into, uh, into exile. And Jesus talked about the poor and the oppressed a whole bunch and, and modeled it. Uh, I, what, I, what I got used to doing was whenever I would talk about something like and again, some of this in different contexts, sermon, podcast, blog. If you're going to talk about immigration, if you're going to talk about racial justice and as biblical justice, also in the same sentence or paragraph, talk about abortion and just throw it in there. Right. And yeah. it doesn't mean everybody has to agree with me, but it shows that these are biblical justice issues and that it's going to make both sides. Both sides end up kind of not liking you that way because they go, oh, wait, yeah. no, I can't. I can't side with him because... He disagrees with me on abortion or I can't side with him because he disagrees with me on immigration. And, and I like that because it exposes the tribalism. It exposes the bipartisanism and how we, we look through those political isms rather than looking through Scripture, you know, and Jesus. And so, um, yeah, that's, good. that's a handy way, a handy way to do it. Now, as yeah. I I'm thinking now, I, I'm going, OK, I just said it. I got all passionate and I said it's just a podcast and I. I and I said it disgusts me when I see when I see that right on a sermons that Patricia's yeah. do. Let me just go back and put a disclaimer <laughs> on that. Uh, I that is me being guilty of what I did, like during those years yeah. of my church plant where I was overly militant. Right. Like, I don't want yeah. someone to hear me say that. And instead of going back and editing it, I'm going to keep it. And I'm going to apologize right now, five minutes later and say, I need to be softer on how I say that. I need to be more gracious. And I, mm -hmm. I, I need, I want that church and that pastor to, um, to, to, to see the Bible more holistically and me getting on a soapbox and saying, I'm, I'm just, <laughs> I'm disgusted by it is, isn't going to help them. So I, I want to, I want to challenge them to ask themselves, have I, have I hollowed out Jesus message from Jesus? When I say I'm preaching Jesus, am I, am I preaching how to be saved? Uh, and we can get into all that. I, I just I'm probably in a bad way to say it. 
um, am I teaching people how to follow Jesus? I think that's really what we have to get get yeah. down to. Uh, and and if not, I mean, let's be just be humble and let the Holy Spirit convict us and say, oh, let's change that. Like, let's start doing new types of sermons. Let's start let's start yeah. looking in some of the minor prophets, or let's start looking into. When, when we preach the the parable of the Good Samaritan or the parable of the woman at the well, uh, or when we preach Ephesians 2, we don't stop at verse 9, but we go into verses 10 okay. through 16 that talk about the, the ethnic dividing <laughs> walls being torn down. And let's, let's start doing those types of sermons um, and pointing out the ethnic uh, race, racism that, that was going on in, in the first century. So, yeah, so I say that to say... Um, I need to be, I need to be more gracious in that than, than, than I am. No, that's good. Well, at the that's same good. time, yeah. I don't want to lose my sort of like prophetic edge, if that makes sense too, you know, like totally. pr- prophetic in the, the, the sense of just speaking truth and not being satisfied, you know, sort of with the status quo. So that's a fine line, yeah. man. It's a, it's a fine line. Um, <laughs> I don't, yeah, the whole preaching Jesus thing. I, I just, I don't know. I'm growing a little bit weary, maybe unimpressed with kind of slogans that um, I'm not quite sure what the content of that slogan is. I mean, what does that mean? Preach Jesus. That can mean so many different things. Obviously it sounds good. It's like non falsifiable. <laughs> you can't disagree with it. Yeah. Um, but what does that mean? Does that mean like, yeah, Jesus is a self-help Jesus who um, wants us to stay locked up in our gated communities. I mean, Jesus was a, you know, a man from the Middle East who was crucified by the state went to the death penalty for treason. Like he was a, he was a profoundly political figure and yet he didn't get mixed up into the partisanship of the day. I mean, right. I, he, he's a disruptive figure, not just to your own individual immorality, but to pub, the public as well. He was a publicly disruptive person. So yeah. yeah and, and yeah, I don't know. So I'm but, but, Yeah. So I, I don't want to say don't preach Jesus, <laughs> but but I, I to say I'm going to preach Jesus and I'm not going to touch political issues. I think that's a false dichotomy. Yeah, I just say preach all of Jesus. Then don't don't just yeah. preach Jesus died for your sins and and rose from the dead and ask him to forgive you of your sins and now you'll be saved. And isn't that great? And it is great. And let's preach that right. same sermon every single week, with the exception of some sort of personal piety sermons about your marriage or about, uh, you know, holy living maybe. Mm-hmm. Uh, but, but in that to just, oh, it's easier said than done, but to, to, totally. yeah. to not skip over, you can't go too far the other way either where it's all you're preaching on uh, and have yeah. honest people in your life. I think that's what it comes down to. L- literally that, that season I was telling you about where I was preaching, my wife said to me, and she'd be okay with me saying this because she was right. She said, it feels like every sermon you do is about racial justice. Hmm. Yeah. And looking back, she, she kind of, they kind of were. They kind of were during, during that season. And they shouldn't be, right? But if you, yeah. you also need honest people on the other side, if you never preach on this stuff, to be able to tell you, it feels like every sermon you do is on going yeah. to heaven. Or every sermon you do is on just like living a better, living your best life now, you know, it shouldn't right. be, it should, it shouldn't be that way. You should, you know, so, uh, yeah, I think, I think doing it in community is, is really, really helpful and, yeah. um, and needed. And it so. should be, context- it should be contextually determined too. both our social context where we're living at today in our cultural moment, yeah. and also our geographical context, you know, certain contexts may need a heavy dose of racial, racial reconciliation sermons. Others might need more on misogyny or, yeah, or sexuality or, yeah. or just 
you know, whatever. I mean, there's, and that, that, and that's why, yeah, there's no one size fits all, but to know your cultural context, know your congregational context and speak truth into that context as, as, as the need arises. Yeah. Yeah. Well, let me, let me wrap up with sort of, uh, two questions that are, that are practical and okay. one one of them is in a situation I'm in now, and it's it's sim- so so different than advice to sort of lead pastors on how to approach these issues. There's there's large churches out there. I work at one now, yeah. and so we have these conversations a lot in, amongst our staff. And um, what advice would you have? Because because you know you're not a pastor, and so you have freedom. No. Whether you want to use it or not, you you have freedom to to really say what you want, right? You can say what you want on Twitter or wherever, or write these yeah. books, and you're gonna lose some followers for sure for things you sure. say. You're gonna get unfollowed, but you're also gonna gain followers because they're saying, "All right, that guy's speaking. He's he's not afraid, you know, to say these things about sexuality mm-hmm. or about you know whatever whatever it might be." So. There's a lot of uh, pastor staff out there or support staff at churches. And they're in a position where they want to talk about these things, but they yeah. are not the lead person. And if yeah. they if they talk about these things publicly on social media or even maybe within the church ministry context, these things could be anything. It could be it could be George Floyd. It could be uh, sexuality. It could be how to treat LGBTQ community. It, it could be uh, whatever it might be. Um, what advice do you have for them on the line between being faithful to Scripture? If, if they feel like maybe their lead pastor isn't being faithful to scripture uh, yeah, or their church uh, and having that integrity, but then also, like, you know, you don't want to really want to lose your job or get fired and or just cause just like massive dissension yeah. and division within your church and your staff. Do you have any thoughts on that? I don't know, man. That's a great question. And I would kind of need to know. It's hard to give a top down 30,000 foot. Yeah response i i guess mm, yeah i don't want to and i i don't like the word balance but i'll use it here there is a balance between being as you said earlier prophetic speaking truth being disruptive in a in a in a healthy way not not in a cataclysmic way um and yet not and yet being pastoral and wise in how you, how you go about that. I learned this as a, as a, I'll just go back to my educational context. You know, when I was in, you know, teaching at different universities and especially when I was younger. Um, yeah. I love to deconstruct. I love to provoke. I love to say things that challenge people's presuppositions, but I learned that, man, somebody may be over here, you know, on the spectrum of one to 10, maybe they're a one, they need to be a 10 if you try to take them from one to 10 in one classroom setting, you can destroy their faith, yeah. push them farther in the other direction, you know, but if you take them from a one to two this semester and then a two to three, the next semester, that, that's, that's being more wise. It's being just psychologically responsible, pastorally responsible, knowing that typically people aren't going to swing in their views drastically if they're, if it's just crammed down their throat or said in such an obnoxious way, which is why social media is terrible at changing people's yeah. opinions. It just, right provokes anger. So I, so I think there is that balance of, of not just playing into the status quo, but, you know, pushing in. And honestly, I, I think what you're talking about, honestly, I feel like it's a deeper, deeper structural ecclesiological problem that has to do with 
largely with money, maybe with power as well. Mm-hmm. Sure, sure. That so much of our church industrial complex, especially yeah. with large churches, are and it's just a fact, right? It is dependent upon money. Yeah. If you say something that's a little too provocative and too many people leave, especially that person who gives, you know, a, you know, ten thousand dollars a week, um, we we have got building we have the building to pay for. We have, you know, 50 people on staff we're responsible for this. This, this whole thing is held together by the keeping the number of people in attendance. And hopefully, you know, a portion of those people are giving money. Um, that's just the way, I mean, correct me if I'm wrong. That's just, yeah. that's just part of our ecclesiology when it comes to a big church. And I think that is, well, let me say it really cautiously and maybe I'm missing something. I think it can be very problematic for how we go about discipling our people through these hard, hard issues. Um, and I don't, I, so I think, I think maybe some of the fundamental structures of our ecclesiology when it comes to big churches, I'm not against big churches, but I think some of our fundamental structures do need to be reexamined. Cause I think they can prevent us from being prophetic when we very much need to be prophetic. Yeah. I'm glad you brought up the money thing. Cause it, it totally ties into much of what we've talked about up to this point about I'm just going to preach Jesus and and what we've talked about that meaning in people's minds and back to even prior to that evangelism being the number one thing, you know, throughout uh, whatever era of of racism in America for the white evangelical church. But a lot of that had to do with, yeah, if I offend that person, they, 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 in our mind, they may not accept Jesus, but a lot of these people are already Christians you're, you're preaching to there. And so it's, it's more, they're going to leave your church. They're not going to give. And so there's that. And I think it really is hard for pastors to, when you're in that role, you can say, ah, no, it's not a problem. And this is why, no. you know, that, that prophetic voice is needed to say, actually, it is a problem. What are you doing about yeah. it? And I think that's up to each individual pastor. And I will say pastoral community. I hope pastors have community around them within their staff and within their, their elder teams that are, that are really asking these questions. Because at the end of the day, to some level, you will be accountable before God uh, for, you know, mm-hmm. for, for these things that, that you preach on and, and, and things like that. I don't mean accountable like you're going to not be saved or something, yeah. but, but we are accountable for the words you know, that we use and say, Scripture tells us. And so uh, I don't know. Yeah, I just think, I think um, the money thing is huge. And I'm in a weird spot because I'm prophetically uh, you know, gifted. And I, I got always preface that because depending on your denomination, I say it for the listeners. I don't mean predictive prophecy here. I'm talking about, <laughs> I speak truth. Lowercase p. I see, I just speak truth. Like, you know, if the King is over mm-hmm. here and truth is the biblical truth is over here, the prophet would go to the King and say, Hey King, yeah. you're, you're, you're hundred yards away from where, what the Bible sa- where it says you should be. And the King's like, Oh, I'm going to kill you now. And the prophet's like, Oh, that's cool. Whatever, like you know, I do. Yeah. I'll do it. Yeah. That's how I'm wired. That's why I would say that that is harder to do when your livelihood is tied to that. Which is why right. I'm not. You know, I know Francis Chan. His model out in San Francisco uh, was well, not there anymore. But you know, is there's not a not a dime goes into the ministry. So there's there's no financial question involved in breaking bread, meeting, teaching, whatever. And and I I you know I I don't. I think it's biblical to pay a pastor. I think you can, whatever. But like, there is something attractive about your sermons, your leadership, your prophetic voice being completely, 
completely unaffected financially. Like it's not tethered to that. So I, I was involved in a church plant for um, about six months. It, it, um, it, it grew too quickly, so we had to shut it down. But I didn't. It was not. I didn't get paid a dime. Wasn't anything. So there's nothing in my livelihood was dependent on it. Whatever. And the freedom I had to just talk about whatever. Talk about whatever. I don't. I'll talk about. Hey, yeah, I don't pledge allegiance, and anybody there could think I'm a heretic. I'm like, I, right. I don't. <laughs> this problem I, mean, I don't need to be doing this like right uh, you don't have to come back i don't we didn't even provide chairs we're like if you want to sit down bring your own chair i'm not a chair provider you know um so there was a friend i don't think that's the only way I don't, i'm not even sure that's the best way but it was just i don't know just take maybe the nugget of maybe what i'm exploring here i mean can, can you imagine a system of church where your prophetic voice your teaching your leadership um was completely separate from your financial livelihood. Um, that would be, I think most pastors, when I had this conversation, like, I don't know how that would work, but <laughs> God, <I'd, laughs> yeah. to not even have to think about how is this sermon going to affect the budget next week or, you know, um, I don't know. It's something at least explore. Do you have any thoughts on that? Oh, uh, yeah, I love it. I think some people hear it and go, <laughs> Oh, that's so idealistic. You know, that couldn't that, that could never happen, you know, sort of thing. I think that's probably more what it was like in the first century. I mean, I, there, there's obviously biblical evidence of being paid and things like that, but it doesn't um, I, I, I don't I don't see the pay working like it does today. I, I think biblically a lot of their yeah. money, the, the, the accounts we see in the New Testament of money being given was given to the poor it was given to the jerusalem church who had a bunch of poor people in a famine Uh, and then we pluck those verses out and say they're about tithing and you know those sorts of things so i i think that's that's financial redistribution across (laughs) the global (laughs) right yeah if you really want to apply those then all these affluent suburban churches ought to be shelling out like six to seven digits per year to the inner city poor churches and that that would be biblical application directly um yeah yeah so i think it's huge man i think we want to dismiss it as being idealistic because we don't want it it would be too upsetting if we really you know looked at the ramifications of it i think i'm a guy like i'm an eight on the enneagram i'm the prophetically wired dude i'm not really wired to be sort of in that priestly role again old testament priestly like caring for the people and so i'm going to give you an answer that's more like yeah tell it to them baby (laughs) like and if they leave get out you know and that's i I, that's not you need you need to partner with other priests right otherwise yes (laughs) yes 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 i do yeah and and i and and so i i'm kind of the i'm a good guy to ask if you if you want that type of answer but uh, there, there's guys uh, that are wired for um, they're wired to just love those, whether it's a hundred people or it's 10,000 people. And they just mm-hmm. say, I love these people and I don't, I don't want to hurt them and I love them and I want them to grow, but I, I just love them. And it would just break my heart if one of them or if 10 of them or whatever left because I said something that, that was divisive. And so I, I want to value that heart too. And I hope that like me working with them will help bring this kind of good spot in the middle where the Holy spirit lives and, and kid, yeah. uh, you know, can have truth be spoken, but it can also, uh, be loving. When I was at, uh, the church that I planted, we did a, we switched to a co-pastor model. We got rid of the senior pastor model because I felt like, mm. 
it made me too authoritative yeah. and it made me yeah. i got too much credit when things went well and too much blame for when things didn't and that was killing mm-hmm. me and so we switched to a plurality of elder model where elders were pastors and some of us were paid and some weren't but we all were equal in our authority and so i would there ended up being four of us but it started out with just two of us and my co-pastor's name is kurt he's one of my best friends and he's a He's a nine on the Enneagram. I throw that out for Enneagram people. Uh, yeah. And he, nine, meaning he's very caring. He He's very compassionate and kind and yeah. loves those people. I would write an email. I would send it to Kurt, and I would say, Kurt, make this sound loving. I would say that <laughs> tongue-in-cheek, okay? And he would. He would yeah. make it sound loving, yeah. and then we would send That's it out. Good. And it would have, like, the truth of the of what was needed. Like, here's where we're going, the vision, which is what I'm good at. And then it would also have that pastoral, you know, sort of piece. So I'm going to close off that question with saying, from my side, it has to be done in community. And and back to my where I'm at now, I'm at a large church, I'm on staff, I'm lower on the totem pole. That has to be done in community. And when you have an objection with what's going on at the upper levels of the church, that has to be done in community. That you have to do this in community. You have to have face to face conversations not on social media, not uh, not throwing people under the bus, not being judgmental, but just talking about it and being in community and being humble uh, and, and, and having those healthy ways to sort of discourse, you know, through these things. Um, I think that's the answer, but it's still, it's still murky. It's hard. So, yeah. That's so good. You recognize that. No, that's good. The worst thing is to have a bunch of people like you or like me and leadership like we (laughs) i tell plurality of leadership but also plurality of just even uh personalities but gifting primarily is absolutely necessary for sure there's a huge there's a huge gifting piece to it and that's a fun like whole other conversation of i need to be careful what jobs i even take and put myself in Mm -hmm. because i want to honor the gifts god's given me and those gifts can be harmful you know if they're in the wrong place uh, and the same thing can be said for like a nine or something like that. You know, if everybody was wired that way, um, you know, I lo- I'm not trying to bash nines. I just like if everyone was wired like me, then everyone would be crying and in pain all the time. And if everyone was wired like a nine, like nothing would ever get done. No- nothing would ever start. There'd be no new ground taken. There'd be no like we're, we're going to go. I want to go kill Satan, you know, and I and all of his like his. The, the things that he does and none of that stuff would happen if if everybody was wired to just kind of care for you know the hundred people that are there and and just love them and never upset the apple cart so uh i think we just have to be really aware of our weaknesses and and do it in community because yeah. that's we're a body yeah. and we're supposed to do it in community you know anyway yep. so we we can switch the structure though like you said um what do you think of pastors getting paid well i think it helps if you get rid of the senior pastor model honestly and hmm. um, and lead in community, um, and yeah. I, I'm I'm not saying that in a judgmental way because 98% of churches have the senior pastor model, right? So it's it's fine, but I think yeah. if you have that opportunity to to explore that, yeah, no, that's good. That's good. All right, I'm I'm going to end with this. Uh, just some practical thing that I think you'd have some good insight on because you've navigated the LGBTQ conversation with so many families, and so I thought it just applied to kind of all all of this stuff we've been talking about. Let's end with talking about the family and uh, you have a, a boomer, baby boomer parent, and they think one way. They think one way about COVID. They think one way about Trump. They think one way about LGBTQ, uh, immigration, whatever it is. They think one way about it. And they have a millennial or a Gen Z kid who thinks another way. 
about any one or all of those of those things. Uh, give me the best case scenario there and the worst case scenario there. Oh man. Um, well, first of all, I would, I, not the books solve every problem or whatever, but, um, in that scenario, um, the, the absolute hands down necessary book to read is by Jonathan Haidt, uh, a righteous mind, how, why good people disagree on politics and religion. It just is, um, the principles he lays down there in these kind of conversations are just invaluable. Every pastor needs to read this book like tonight. Um, the Righteous Mind by Jonathan Hyde. He's, he's a secular Jew. He's not, it's not a Christian book, but it just helps us understand why, well, the title, why good people have wildly different opinions on things like politics and religion. Um, one of the things he talks about in that book that I found incredibly true in my own ministry and work, this is before I even read the book, um, is that there's a big difference between seeing somebody else's different view as as wrong versus evil <laughs> and this is something we see in politics now and this is something again i would say is more of a problem with those on the right those on the or those on the left sorry those on the right typically would view those on the left as profoundly wrong but it seems like those on the left see those on the right as profoundly evil <laughs> mm. If you vote for Trump, you're a racist, you're a, you know, you're promoting violence, all this stuff. Whereas, and maybe again, I'm not saying it's categorically true, but I, if you get into a position where somebody's difference of opinion is not just wrong, but is profoundly evil, that's a, that's a bad place to be. Um, secondly, if you can get to a place where you can see them as wrong, but not necessarily evil, um, it's the first step to having any kind of actual dialogue is to be able to acknowledge some good <laughs> in their view, some kind of bridge where you can find agreement with something they're saying. Um, and that comes with charitable listening, truly, truly, truly listening with the goal of understanding. Okay. You're a millennial. You think Trump is the devil. Your grandpa has a MAGA hat um, or your dad or whatever. He watches Fox News only. You watch, you know, NPR or CNN, whatever. Um, is there anything? Can you find something in your dad's Trumpism that you can say, you know what? I, I could see that. I could see where you would value that. I, I would value that too. You know, I don't, maybe, maybe it's the pro-life or maybe I, something. But if you just only see the world in binary categories, it's just black and white, right, wrong. And that's just, um, you'll, you'll never be able to have a healthy dialogue. Yeah. And this goes for both, for both totally. sides. Yeah. And as individuals, we can't, we can only have responsibility for how we approach that conversation. We, Cause you could say, well, he needs to do that too. Well, yes, he does. Yes. But you can't control that. You can't, maybe he won't, maybe he'll just be nothing but black and white. Trump's the greatest. Everybody else is evil. Um, uh, but you might be able to speak into that binary thinking if you can bridge, find some kind of bridge, some kind of value in the other person's perspective. And this is the problem I see. It's everything's so polarized today. I have people, you know, five years ago, two years ago, uh, 10 years ago, for sure. That, that wasn't that hard to do, but now things are so polarized. Yeah. You know, I, I read CNN and then Fox news. And it's like, I'm reading, I, I read just two different planets. Like, you know, like on 4th of July, <laughs> yes. No, 4th, so 4th of July, there was 111 people shot 
in Chicago, 18 at least killed. Wow. Most of them were children. Oh. CNN didn't even mention it. Why? Because South Chicago, it's a black neighborhood. You don't mention black on black crime. And, and then you go to Fox News. And, and again, I think Fox News is actually better. Like they actually mentioned that. They also mentioned stupid things Trump says or whatever. Like they, they're not, I don't think, as just holistically. Half of the listeners not, half the listeners just turned off. You were like, I think Fox News is better. And they're like, I hate Preston Sprinkle. And they turned it off just to, you know. <laughs> yeah. It, it, this is my personal opinion. It, as a nonpartisan, non Fox News, whatever. Uh, I, I'm, yeah. I'm, I'm giving you a hard time. <laughs> I'm helping you out, um, man. I'm helping you out. Don't tune him out. Stay, hang in there. He's got, you need to learn this. You need to listen to this. So you wait, you'd say most of your audience would, or no. half your audience would be. Uh, oh, I don't know. Oh, I don't know, man. I mean, I just interviewed my brother last episode about he he has this really interesting I, and I didn't even I'm unaware because I don't file stuff about he's like anti Facebook. And so uh, why, why Facebook like why nobody should use it. And he and it some overlap and, and a little few things we said. But, yeah, he he's uh, uh, he said some not nice things about fox news on there so it's just good it's just good it's good balance yeah. on the flip side so I, you know what's funny is i used to uh, for years bash like fox news christians fox news christians right right I right still say if you're a fox news christian you're very that's very problematic <laughs> from an objective standpoint clearly they're on the right i just find them to i mean again at least they would acknowledge at least they tell they they would list the main stories of the day when, when yeah. CNN literally doesn't even mention over, I mean, dozens of teenagers being shot on one day, kids, like, how do you, are you, how do you not mention that? Yeah. Yeah. I'm with <laughs> because, you. Because yeah, that's crazy. So I don't know. I just want to go watch baseball, man. That's what I want to do. <laughs> I don't even, I don't, I don't even have cable. I, I literally have never had cable. I, I, I just, I guess now on the internet, you can watch stuff. Anyway, I'm just like, just let me watch the Reds lose and I'll be happy. Just why, just give me an, the, the, so the, the one year that, this is what I meant to say at the beginning of our interview. And, uh, the, the, the one year that, that they, uh, actually bought, had spent some money and got good players. There's like, you know, there might not even be a season. So that's, that's what I want. But no, I, yeah. I, I love what you're saying uh, about, well, first of all, let me say this in typical flip side podcast fashion, this episode's really long. And I yeah. say, thank you, Preston, for hanging in there. These, yeah, this is definitely yeah. like double the amount of time. I'm sure you had, you had budgeted. <laughs> I know you have nothing better to do with your time. Uh, and, I gotta go eat lunch, man. I know, man. Idaho. It's I. I you should have definitely had uh, eaten before you got you got on this on your time zone. Uh, but I, I, I will I will wrap up with this, and you're gonna you're gonna love this. Okay, I've been I've been working on this. Actually, I thought you were talking about you know the the find something that the other person uh, you know don't see them as evil and find something you grab onto. How about this one? Trademark this. They are uh, a person to be loved, or we could say. People to yeah, be loved, yeah. huh? Huh? <laughs> huh? See that? Your checks what, in the mail. Your checks. In see the what mail, I'm man. doing there? A little bit of product placement <laughs> there. Yeah. Actually, no. That's I, I, one of the huge things. I, I mean, I love people to be loved, and and the uh, the talks, the leadership talks you did with Center for Faith on sexuality, because really the underlying premise of that, and this is a good place to to wrap up, is. People are people to be loved. And that's that is something that, that my brother said last week as we talked about this. We talked more about how to talk on Facebook, but these are people and 
we are to love them, right? Like Jesus couldn't have been any clearer. He says even love (laughs) your enemies, pray for those who persecute you. And so I love that as a way of, of, I think that's, that's ultimately what I heard you saying was, was love that person you disagree with, particularly if they're in your family, like you might disagree on all these things, but what can it look like to love them? And if you love them, I promise you're going to have much more productive discourse with them and maybe even influence their view of things uh, than if you if you don't love them. Right. So, yeah. yeah, that's good, man. Good word. Boom. It was your word. I was just saying it in a in a in a in a funny ending the podcast interview sort of way. So, yeah, man. Well, hey, I appreciate you doing this. And uh, we I, I always like to mess around on my podcast. So thanks for letting me uh, mess around. Yeah uh here it's been fun cool thanks for having me on man appreciate it it's fun talk all right thanks preston and listeners embodied is on pre-sale on amazon so head over there right now if you want to pre-order preston's next book embodied which is on transgender identity which will be released February 1st, 2021, which also is my dog's first birthday. So another another milestone <laughs> for February 1st. All right. Well, I hope you enjoyed that interview. I hope it was helpful for you as you pray and navigate through your own life, whatever position you're in, whether you're a pastor. Most of you probably aren't. Most of you are, are, are Christians trying to live faithfully out following Jesus and what it looks like. And I hope this conversation and the others that we do on the flip side just help you be more authentic and what it looks like to follow Jesus. And just please know my heart is I love the church. The church is Jesus's bride, and I love it. The church is also my employer. And, and you know, I love the church. I love the, the community of the church within the congregation. I love the community of the church within staff. And within that, within, within saying all that, which I genuinely mean from the bottom of my heart, what, what, what we always need to be doing is realizing that the systems we create, church being one of those systems, we, we have to be able to, to kind of disembody ourselves from it and look at it from above. Look at it from an aerial view. If we were an alien, a Martian who, who landed and is looking at the church, looking at the local church, looking at your local church, my local church— and if, if that alien, or, or better better off, if Jesus just showed up, that's probably a better analogy. And what, what would Jesus say about your local church, my local church? What would he say about the church in America? What would he say about Christians in America? And I think we all would agree. There's no way he would agree with everything we're doing. Oh, man, you guys are doing it all perfectly. This is exactly what I want. You know, no way, right? And so those are just the type of things I think are really helpful to pause and slow down and ask ourselves with the Holy Spirit's help and in community. And and I hope we can do that on the flip side in a loving and respectful way. And just know that that's my heart. And if it ever it comes across sometimes as a little bit judgmental or non-loving, I, I don't intend that. And when I apologize for those things, I, I do sincerely mean it because my heart is to is just to push the envelope for all of us. Trust me, myself included, as I look back at my past mistakes and, and hopefully they're going to help me not make the same mistakes in the future, even though I know I still will make those because of the way I'm wired. Uh, but know that we're, we're all in this together. And I hope that this podcast serves to just help us live these things out um, a bit more authentically 
um, in our lives and, and in the life of the church. So with that, if you're new, if you're new to the podcast, here we go. Uh, disclaimer. I forgot the disclaimer last episode, and so I'm sorry for those of you that that had to live through Noah's rant and you didn't know what was coming. I don't want that to happen again. So next is a little segment we like to call Noah's rant, and what Noah's rant is is it is the end. It is the end of all things. <laughs> Sounds very apocalyptic. It is the end of all things, of all things serious, of all things spiritual, of all things of substance. So if you saw interview with Preston Sprinkle, I really want to hear this and you, and I really like this, I would, I would just encourage you to turn the podcast off now. Just do yourself a favor, turn it off. You're not going to hear anything from this point forward that's helpful, edifying, spiritual. It's just straight up shenanigans that's what it is that's all it is it's all it is so if you're into that sort of thing if you're into shenanigans if you if you want to you know you can just skip the rest of it and skip right to Noah's rant i guess but uh here we go this is this is Noah's rant so you've been warned you've been you have been thoroughly warned it's recorded i can prove it to you so i don't want to i don't want to hear any complaints about Noah's rant because you know better now i've warned you you know better and without further ado it is the highlight of your week or of your of your three weeks, or however long it takes me to do a podcast episode, it is the highlight of all of our lives. Noah's rant. Noah's rant. All right, so you know, you know, my I kind of have this <laughs> this thing against birds. You might think that I don't. You might think that about a year ago, one of my Noah's rants was against robins. I wanted them all to be extinct because they woke me up at four in the morning in the springtime when I had my windows open, their stupid song, and I wanted to kill them all. Well, I have central air now, and that's, that's not a problem, so the Lord has worked on my heart. And obviously the rant didn't do any good because there's, there's still robins everywhere. But, but today we're going to talk about the red-winged blackbird. Okay, the red-winged... There was a rant today is about the, the red-winged blackbird. And uh, the red-winged blackbird, look, at one point, I thought, this is a really pretty bird. This is a really cool bird. I mean, it's a blackbird, but it has this bright, fire red ends. The tips of its, of its wings, or the, or the shoulder, I should say, of the wings is just beautiful and amazing. And I used to think that about red-winged blackbirds until recently. So as you know, I live in Middleville now. I live out in the middle of nowhere. I live out in the country. And I go running. I like I like to run and 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 train. And so I run on this 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 country road. It's called Finkbiner Road. And as I as I run and I one route, I do the same route every time. I run on Finkbiner Road. And in this rant today, it's it's not about any red-winged blackbird or um, not all all red-winged blackbirds. This is about one specific red-winged blackbird that is on my my running trail. See, as I run, it's, or not a trail, as I, as I run down Finkbeiner, I, I run over in the shoulder of the road, and, and I pass many of these red-winged blackbirds, and they chirp at me a little bit here and there, but there there is one red-winged blackbird as I'm running innocently, unarmed, running down Finkbeiner Road, this red-winged blackbird decides that he will dive-bomb my head uh, as I run by. <laughs> he, he, he or she, I don't know which is the aggressive one, if 
something I'm having to do with nesting or whatever. And it, it dive bombs my head. And I'm telling you, I'm, I'm not a guy that's, that's scared easily of things. When there's spiders in my house, I kill the spider. Not a big deal. But when there is a bird, even a small bird, and it is within a foot of your head, and it is flapping its wings at you, chirping at you, uh, it is not relaxing. It is not a pleasant feeling or or, or pleasant. So, so this is what I started to do. I, I'm not going to take this crap from this red-winged blackbird attacking my head as I, as I run by peacefully. I, I, am, um, I, am, I have no issue with red-winged blackbirds up to this point in my life. Never done anything wrong to them. There's no vengeance he should have against me. So as I run now, what I do is I, I scoop up a, a little small handful in both hands of pebbles. There's lots of pebbles along the shoulder of the road. And when the red-winged blackbird swoops by my head now or gets close, I, I chuck uh, behind me, I chuck this scattered shot of, of pebbles. And, and, and for the bird lovers out there and PETA activists, uh, I have not harmed any red-winged blackbirds in this. The intent is not to harm but it is to intimidate, as is the intent of this Noah's rant. It is to intimidate this one singular red-winged blackbird that keeps diving my head, because I know he or she is listening. I know that. I know that this uh, bird is a subscriber, and the, the flip side... Uh, the Noah's rant on the flip side is meant to make the world a better place. And so to this one, this one red-winged blackbird, stop dive-bombing my head. Because here's the thing. We had a little deal. We had a little deal going. I started tossing pebbles behind me when the red-winged blackbird would get near my head. And guess what? It stopped. It actually legitimately stopped for, for several weeks. And uh, during this period of time, I realized this bird is not to be messed around with. Uh, my wife was driving recently, and I was in the passenger seat. We are driving by Thinkbinder Road, and I looked up at the one spot. Again, it's the same bird. It lives in the same spot. It's always in the exact same spot on my run. And I looked up at the tree line high above. I'm not kidding you. There was a red-tailed hawk. We get a lot of those out here. Amazing birds, huge birds, birds of prey. You don't want to mess with a red-tailed hawk. There was a red-tailed hawk up in the air at the tree line of this area, and there were two red-winged blackbirds. I have no doubt it, one of them was the one that attacks me, and they were they were literally attacking the red-tailed hawk in the air, pecking at it, going going at it, and, and I'm telling you, the red-winged blackbirds were winning. Like, if I had to put a bet on a hawk versus two little wimpy red-winged blackbirds, I'd put my money on the hawk, and I would have lost that bet they're pecking at it they're attacking it with their claws this red-tailed hawk can't even fly straight it is it is all jostled all it's trying to get out of there as quickly as possible so this is the type of menace that i am dealing with when i try to go running and so here's the thing little little red-winged blackbird if you continue to incessantly come at my head as if i were some predatory red-tailed hawk which i am not I will continue to shower you with pebbles, which I did just yesterday morning. And one of these days, like David slaying Goliath, I will slay you. I will throw a pebble and it will hit you in the corner of your eyes and you will fall to the ground. And I will take your wing, your beautiful red wing, and I will make a necklace out of it. And I will fasten it around my neck. I will go to a taxidermist in Middleville and I will say, taxidermist, please stuff this wing. Make this wing into a necklace like, like someone would 
do with shark teeth like someone would do with their their prize kill over the village predator as a sign to the rest of the red tail uh, red tail hawks the rest of the red wing blackbirds i will wear this this emblem this wing around my neck when i go running down thinkbiner road in middleville and it will say to the rest of your friends and your family red wing blackbird don't mess with me don't mess with me as i go running so i'm just going to leave it there red wing blackbird i'm going to say it right here on noah's rant on the flipside podcast which i know you're listening to this needs to end if you continue your bombardment of my head as i run by you uh th- this is this is what will happen to you so boom baby the end of all things very well, that's a dark noah's rant wow but i'm telling you sometimes you got to do that you you have i'm not look look listeners i'm not saying i'm not saying i'm actually gonna kill the little bird i, I just have to get him thinking i'm going to i'm trying to intimidate him trying to get into his little head so that when he comes by he has second thoughts now about dive bombing my head because he heard this on the podcast. he's like no that's the guy with the podcast that's he's gonna kill me and wear my wing around his neck so don't don't worry I'm, I'm not actually going to follow through. It's just an empty threat. But we, got, we, we have to utilize Noah's rant. It is a, it is a, it is a weapon, right? The, the pen is mightier than the sword. The podcast is mightier than the sword. The podcast is mightier than the pebble, really. And so I'm utilizing the podcast to bring, to bring justice, really, to bring justice to my head for this blackbird to stop, to stop trying to kill me. So, so there you go. I mean, I want to live. You know, I have got, I've got kids. I've got three kids. They... They depend on me. They they depend on their dad, and so I just want to make sure I'm I'm there for them because this 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 bird's trying to take me out. So with that, we're gonna take out episode 32 <laughs> of the Flipside Podcast. Every time I do Noah's rant, I go, really no? <laughs> Should I really be doing these? I'm gonna keep doing them. We're going with it. All right, thanks for listening. Episode 32 of the Noah's Ram podcast. Looking forward to next episode. I will see you then on the flip side. The flip side with Noah Filipiak is a South Francis press production. Copyright Noah Filipiak, www.noahfilipiak.com. Theme music by Kyle Lake at K Lake Music. Use with permission. Please subscribe and leave a review on iTunes or wherever podcasts are found. Yow, yow, dripping in that gall that don't perish. People selling fake, see the green around their belly. Taking refuge in his hand, see his poems, my living quarters. Close them when I'm finished, it's time to bring me closer. There's no purgatory, cause you're in or you're out. When you see him in the clouds, then you know it's going down. Raise them, raise them, raise them. They've been sleeping for some ages. Now all God's babies so confused by this hatred. Poor pit preachers shouldn't aim to be A-list. Money probably long, but short is with your days. Have you ever heard the term of freedom? Cause that cross is nothing pretty So why the beauty
Lisa. This is why we inked up. Even when they do the autopsy, they still see him. Freedom, freedom, freedom coming quickly. Bars from the spirit. Put it through the preamp and mix it like a chemist. Put it in the airwaves and hoping that they hear it. If there's some confusion, then I hope you see him clearly. Raise them, raise them, raise them. They've been sleeping for some ages. Now all God's babies so confused by this hatred. Poor pit preachers shouldn't aim to be A-list. Money probably long, but sure it's with your days. Oh.